Welcome to your daily game face. I'm Dr. Kim Lan, and I'm here to talk about all your wellness and health needs for the week. And I'm here with Lou Blasi, and I'm having technical difficulties with my website. And the thing behind me is going to drive me cuckoo. Yeah, see? See, this is a good place to start. I know. You got to let this go. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> God, two weeks in a row of letting it go. Yep. A little, a little uh, frozen. Oh, I, well, I just texted my my man. Oh, he's texting me back right now to tell me he'll fix it. <laughs> he literally just texted me right back. He's like, yes, I will fix it. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, that's good. Well, um, I would check anyway. throughout the show. Maybe we can get it switched over during the show. Uh, probably not. But is this something you want to spend mental energy on? No. Yeah. No. Um. Hi, Lou. Hi. How was your weekend? My weekend was... Pretty good, actually. Well, that's nice. Other than the Red Sox, just frustrating the hell out of me. Sorry. So, oh, <laughs> speaking sorry of, about. so we have, I have a whole bunch of things to talk about today. First of all, I didn't get a chance to fully, first and foremost, I, I'm more recovered than I was last week when I was talking to everyone from yes. the marathon, except for a little allergy remainder, but I'm almost done with that, I think. Is, is the foot stop barking yet? Anyway, has the foot stopped barking yet? My foot finally got into a sneaker on Sunday. Mm -hmm. I went hiking. Oh, and had no issue. Okay, <laughs> I did a very long hike on Sunday. And was that smart now? It, well, yeah, yes, I needed it because my legs were jumping and I hadn't had any activity since mm. the marathon. That was I couldn't keep doing that. Yep. So, um, I'm back in a shoe. I'm not in the shoe that I would like to be yet, but that's a work in progress as I repair myself for next year because I'm exceptionally motivated to fix myself so that I have a banner Boston Marathon next year that's, you know, performance-wise, like superstar. Yep. That doesn't tap out at mile 15. But um, but uh, I wanted to make sure that I had a chance that I had over 100 different sponsor donors this year, and I didn't really fully thank them in the way I wanted to. I'm sending out individual um, yep. thank you notes and other things to people that, you know, just because of their support. But I just want to thank so many people for, one, coming out, um, coming to some of my events that I had for fundraisers, and also just being on board with my whole big fundraiser for the that big raffle giveaway thing I did. Yep. And um, I know that I announced that Kelly and Lee Fox had won it last week and, and they were so excited. Um, it was pretty cool. One in 240 people could win that big prize. And then subsequently I had, you know, Red Sox tickets that I gave away and there's more still coming because yep. the Patriots are giving away stuff from my list as well. Um, and that should come hopefully soon. Uh, so, but I just wanted to thank the vast amount of people that helped me raise, um, well into twelve thousand uh, dollars of funds that goes to the New England Patriot Foundation that goes to all those amazing charities that we'll give away in June. So um, I just want to thank all those people, and I won't do it all individually because they're all getting individual notes. And mm -hmm. you're one of them. Yes, Lou. Lou always supports me. Did, and um, so wanna... did you land two thousand dollars in donations since last week's show? Because weren't you under ten thousand? Um, week? I well, I was well, so I was under ten thousand in terms of on, on paper, but with all the donations that came in to do the prize giveaway, yep. it was it included that Very amount nice. of money. Yeah. So, you know, excellent. Because I don't get that for free. No, I understand. So, so all together raised would have been that, but then I had to do the giveaway. So, but yeah, net. I netted. You netted, yeah. I netted. Okay. Netted and grossed. Netted, grossed. Yep. Netted, grossed. So, um, very excited. Yes, but I, but technically on paper, I'm still like four hundred dollars shy, and I could, I have up until the thirtieth to get that extra in. But, I mean, I know what I made altogether. So, and it was because awesome people came out and <laughs> did great things, and we're super excited, and I love it. So, um, yeah. So thank you all, and um, and on to next year. So I won't be bugging anyone <laughs> for anything for at least six months. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, and my next big race, people have been asking me, like, what's your next race? So I did uh, I did apply for the London Marathon. I don't think I got in. I know that people have applied for the London Marathon for 10 and 20 years at a time and haven't gotten in. And I 
hear that there's over 200,000 people that apply. Oh, yeah. I know, right? I don't know if that's really true or not, but they only pick 17,000 people. So is I'm guessing because I haven't heard yet. I don't think I made it. Yeah. But is, is it a lottery? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I don't think I made it into this year's London Marathon, but I, I have, I'm going to check again today because I did a minor search on it. I was super excited because it's in October and I thought, oh, this would be a great thing to do. But that's okay, because why start training again six months for another one when I need to fix my foot? And but it's, you know, it's a reason to go to London. You're gonna need to, you're gonna need to trade just to get train just to get from one terminal to the other in Heathrow. So I know. Well, yeah. Heathrow is quite the airport. I haven't been there in a while, but yeah. probably about a decade. It was but... literally a ten minute bus ride between terminals. It's like they went to another. I know, town. But I love Heathrow. Yeah. I always have been fascinated by the amount of militia. <laughs> <laughs> walking around Heathrow and 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 then if you've ever flown into Milan Italy no um they when you go by the LL um terminal yep. the LL air airline um it's quite a different experience because there's a lot of it's very protocol it's like a very yep. you know they they're lined up with guns and stuff so my daughter they, and a husband check you their return flight from italy went through turkey yep and i was wondering what istanbul would be like but she loved the airport she thought istanbul was great yeah it was weird because i went through dubai as you know um for south africa twice and i didn't have any of that kind of stuff but yeah. in milan with ll but i think it's just because ll is so security based yes. in terms of their issues. So um, I digress. Uh, so anyway, so my next actual event will be the Loon Mountain Race. It's the toughest uh, mountain race in the country. I do it every year for the past few years, yep. five years, I think. Uh, last year I did a PR on it, which was my personal record. It was really good. So I'm going to be in training for mountain. That's why I did my mountain climb this weekend, because now I'm converting my, my body knowledge into mountains instead yep. of straight and little hills so um yeah i'm looking forward to breaking two hours this this uh summer well, that'll help July. you heal the foot and my foot's been my foot's fine uh different shoe yeah for that so um we'll see but and and it's a lot shorter although it's mountain it's only six you know plus miles so. yeah anyway um but the other thing was that uh, I wanted to talk about a couple of things today. I want to talk about the fact that May, coming into May, is uh, Mental Health Awareness Month and how important, you know, every month has some, or every day. If you notice on NEC, and I don't know if you ever watch that, I do in the gym, every day it comes up with, this is national blah, blah, yeah. blah day. Yeah. And there's some interesting national blah, blah, blah days. Yeah. Um, but National uh, Mental Health Month is May, and uh, I think that that gives um, an important uh, platform for the month, like we did in, I did in January, I did it on kind of codependency and narcissism mm -hmm. and kind of setting goals and kind of going into February. So I thought I would spend coming into May really talking about the different aspects of mental health, and we do that anyway, but I thought I'd really focus on um you know, heart health, first of all, because of how that impacts your overall well-being mentally. Um, and it just happens to be a really great study came out today on aspirin, which we'll talk about, and also um, on high blood pressure and how to take care of that. And when I came in today, we just happened to be talking about high blood pressure. Yeah. So that was, you know, very appropriate. Mm -hmm. And then also talking about stigma. I think one of the biggest things to start about um, talking about mental health is uh, why people utilize it or don't utilize mental health services or behavioral health services and, and what gets in the way and what can get you past those obstacles to get in the way of you utilizing mm -hmm. mental health and how you can take care of yourself if you don't want to go and do something more traditional, like see someone like me, but you can listen to podcasts like this because yep. there's plenty of me out there. Um, but of course I'd want you to listen to me because you know, <laughs> it's me. Yep. Um, but, uh, but I, I did think that we should definitely discuss the, um, the underutilization still of mental health services because of the stigma that's attached. 
but how it's changed over the years from when I started 26 years ago um, and um, and what has changed it. And also then I did want to spend a little time today because this great new study did come out and I was reading about it and it's in the, in the news this morning. It's in a couple of the popular papers and also mainstream about the importance of, you know, every time you've heard about using aspirin, um, you know, for prophylactic for heart attacks and cardiovascular disease and whatever, some really great new research that's got some really good backing has come out about how, um, you know, certain people don't have to utilize it as much if there's certain factors that are not there or if there are certain factors there. And one of the things I found that was really interesting that if you do not have um, any kind of cardiovascular event, arrhythmias or kind of even, um, it, that's not inclusive of hypertension or high blood pressure, but right. just any kind of event before you're 60, they say that you do not need to use aspirin as a preventative. They mm -hmm. just say, as long as you've made it to 60, that that's not something that you Interesting. are, are yeah. needing to do. Mm -hmm. um, I'm excited to do a little bit more reading and research. So this was just off the cuff this morning of like doing some reading early and watching a couple of shows that came out because it was hot off the news this morning. Um, but of course it comes down to very importantly that so the high risk factors, of course, for people with heart and heart conditions and why I always talk about this is because it relates to mental health and behavioral health issues because our behavioral health, which comes first, the chicken, the egg, no, yeah. our behavioral health definitely pushes us towards how we do our heart issues and our heart issues and our cardiovascular issues push us towards how we do our mental and behavioral health. So which comes first depends, I guess, on the person and the circumstance, but, um, you know, the, you know, if you have a history, obviously a family history, there's, there's one little right. tick on the screen. Um, if you have uh, a, a diabetes or a history of diabetes possibility in your family, that's another thing. If you have a, if you have a smoking history, that's a problem. And if you, you yourself have, personally, right. Web. If you yourself personally have a smoking history, if you personally yeah. have yeah. a smoking history, right. And if you have, um, uh, hypertension that's not acute, that's like related to some kind of just like current event that's transient, that's not an issue. But if you have an ongoing uh, hypertensive mode or high blood pressure anyway, so two are really sort of outside your your purview because they're your genetics and loading your deck. And then two are really more under your control. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, those are the things that are really the... Uh, the standout hallmarks of like why you should be watching for yourself. But the number one list, there's four things on the list, which hopefully I'll remember all of them. I will <laughs> definitely remember the first two because they're the things I always talk about is, is healthy diet to be preventative mm -hmm. over anything else and exercise, physical activity that's with intention. Um, this we've had this conversation so many times about people being like, well, I'm on my feet all day or I move, yeah. I get up and move from one spot in my office to the other. That is not exercise or walking around the block once with your dog that takes 25 minutes to go a quarter mile. That is not exercise. It's actually getting your heart engaged to a cardiovascular aerobic or doing weightlifting or body core work that's mm -hmm. just on your body weight that's anaerobic to get your heart pumping so that you're doing physical exercise plus you're eating correctly. Now this morning in the two shows I was watching and the one article I was reading, they very much, and they've been doing this for years, lean towards the Mediterranean diet, which is, you know, good oils, good fats, lots of fish, no red meat or very limited mm -hmm. red meat, if any, um, you know, lots and lots of veggies, uh, beans, legumes, you know, that kind of stuff. And, that's been, that's not new. So I know there's a lot of fad diets out there with, you know, uh, keto, don't do carbs. Don't yeah. So I think that, you know, the Mediterranean diet, you know, certainly check with your physician and check with what that is, but what you eat changes your mental health and what you're, and what you're also feeling inside and mental health changes how you decide to eat. So, so the top two factors were to be able to prevent cardiovascular issues and then heart events are, are clean, healthy eating, mm -hmm. no processing of foods and, you know, processed foods and physical activity that is 
consistent. Yeah. Um, and then it had check yourself for diabetes, which, you know, you should do anyways, and hypertension or high blood pressure to make sure you keep that under control. Um, and then, uh, of course, the fourth one I'm going to miss because I will come to me. I can see it in my head. But I'm trying. To, oh, no. And I think it was no smoking, obviously. Yeah. No smoking, no vaping, um, just because that puts so much um, pressure on you. And as a side, um, vaping has become such a large industry in terms of really appealing to teenagers, especially. I can't stress enough the amount of... Uh, uh, bad things, really negative consequences on the on the lungs and heart that happen as a result of vaping. Um, and take this with a sort of grain of salt and tongue in cheek when I say this is I, I will tell my clients, and I just told two teenagers this last week, I'd rather you smoke a cigarette than vape than in over over 30 years and die a slower death <laughs> really than to vape. Because I don't want it either. But when you compare the points, right, smoke is a very different kind of inhalation process, which we're not supposed to be doing anyways, because that's not where our bodies are functioning for. Right. When you vape, you're vaporizing into your lungs. Your lungs do not exchange that out. That goes in and gets stored. It's like a you know, it's like a bottomless pit of holding all that like excess moisture and so on and so forth. So one would think one, you know, you think black lung, you yeah. think mold, you think mildew, you think, you know, like a wet basement, right? You can't get it out because there's no air, there's no exchange, there's nothing porous to exchange that. So the lungs don't, don't regulate them, the moisture content? Of, right. You know? Not, not anywhere near what you would think what is yeah what is needed to what compensate is needed for to vaping. actually clear it yeah. out so you see a lot of young people having so it's not just nicotine it's the it's the steam it's the right yeah. so the nicotine well so yeah so the nicotine is not i mean that's an issue for addiction yeah. that's either smoking or in vaping but the the issue really becomes for health cardiovascular wise um you know it becomes a mental health issue because you start to struggle because your oxygen level goes down. Kid, you, I, I've seen several kids just in the past six months with um, not only bad teeth from vaping, um, like because it kills your teeth um, and can give you cavities, especially because they add those sweeteners, the sweetener into the flavors. Yeah. Um, but also it 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 just kills your capacity for lung capacity and gives you bronchitis, hmm. makes you more prone to pneumonia. Um, also given COVID there's, you know, teenagers tend to share their vapes and their dab pens and all the stuff that they're using um, and, and so on and so yeah. forth. So uh, it does not help with cardiovascular and a lot of people, um, a lot of kids, teenagers, and I, I think a lot of adults don't realize this as well. Nicotine in that form is no different than nicotine and smoking. You're just, it, it's the most high, it's highly addictive. It's harder to get off of nicotine than it is to get off of heroin. And what is the benefit <laughs> of which nicotine? Well, so nicotine, why would you introduce nicotine into your, into your body? Well, I mean, at least with it, <laughs> do you get any kind of sensational reward like you would with a So there is a, a sensational drug? reward in in the brain mm -hmm. when you give your when you first, especially when you first start. Mm -hmm. So we have we have naturally in our brain nicotinic receptors. We have nicotine that we make in our own brain. Okay. And so we have neuroreceptors for it. So we make a neurotransmitter, the chemical nicotine. Mm -hmm. um, when we actually smoke anything that has nicotine in it it allows our body to have to stop making it on our own, which then we become dependent on the outside source, which then the more we do, the more we need, the more the body doesn't have to create. So we shut off our natural making process and we rely heavily on the outside, which is why people end up smoking more and more and more because it never quite, you never quite get the same quick bump and rush. Like people will say, oh, I smoked my first cigarette and I get this rush. Yeah. But then that kind of passes. So then you get people who chain smoke a pack or two a day is because that's the only way they can get that quick little rush that they feel in, mm -hmm. you know, the dopamine, the pleasure center, and also, you know, the endorphin rush or whatever they feel and they describe, but it, it brings their, their mood up. So you're, you're really looking at all the mood regulators when you're, 
when you're doing a substance like that, but your your pressure on your cardiovascular system is a is depressing. It's a depressant to your whole um, lung and cardio output, input, and exchange in the air. And so um, I was, I'm always amazed with people who can run a marathon and then I see them smoking after hmm. because it's yeah. not a lot of people, but I do see it. Right. Um, because it just floors me that they're able to right. yeah. have that lung exchange and it's, you know, running by nature builds up the lung capacity. So for myself as an asthmatic, my running has helped my asthma. So when people say to me, oh, I can't run, I'm an asthmatic. I, I giggle <laughs> to myself and then I yeah. usually do my pulpit lecture of of epic proportion of yep. well i've been a lifelong asthmatic and and this is something that is actually helpful yeah and so that's really a cop out and i do it in a nice way but <laughs> um because it because the the health benefit of doing anything cardiovascular makes you have a better mental health state and then also builds your lungs up and then builds your cardiovascular but if you're countering it with smoking or vaping you're you're well, one, you're raising your blood pressure, you're, you're changing your input output, you're changing your mental chemicals, the chemicals actually regulate your mood. Um, and then when you decide that, well, gee, I need to come off of this because I've got a physical issue now coming on, or I've got pneumonia, or I've got a bronchitis or something like that, the amount of uh, agitation, pain, and suffering that happens as a result of going through two or three weeks of withdrawal from that. Yeah. Um, puts people into a mental health state that is really, it's a, it's an internal struggle and painfulness because it's, you're, you're imprisoned in your head because you can't get out of it. And so yeah. that's why people end up, it's, it's a vicious cycle. You know, you, pe people who smoke tend to have like that, not all, but they tend on a trend to have a thinner physique because smoking stops and shuts off the hypothalamus from wanting to eat because it shuts right. the cravings. As soon as you stop smoking, it re-regulates the hypothalamus. You're eating and drinking things. So it says, oh, so people will gain weight because they'll eat yeah. to compensate for the non-smoking. So right. it's a very vicious uh, cycle across the board, physically and mentally, because they walk, they walk hand in hand. And that's where that mind-body connection is so important when people kind of poo-poo it a lot yeah. of times saying, oh, it's not really that. It actually really is a connected piece. And I just see a question pop up. Um, uh, yes, smoking anything is a coping element to our our, our listener out there. Um, usually people who are smoking something, it's self-soothing. Mm -hmm. By and large, smoking anything is self-soothing. So whether or not you do it once in a great while or you do it all the time, or it becomes an addiction and habituated it it's it's because it's enjoyable and it takes the place of something in your environment and it's different for everybody but usually in my field it's an anxiety mechanism of coping people use it to calm down but in fact it can really be more agitating and more of a anxiety provoker over time just like when people say oh smoking marijuana or vaping marijuana or eating at marijuana makes me feel less anxious. Um, now, for really, really anxious people, that actually isn't true. It actually inevitably makes it worse because it's a coping strategy. So in short, you're, to answer our listener's question is, it's a coping strategy because it's self-soothing. And it's more, a matter of how far it takes it. In more traditional addiction, usually what happens is you're, you're getting a high, you're getting a rush from using the drug for a while. And then at a certain point, you're not getting that anymore. You're just preventing yourself from getting sick. Right. And, and then you need more. Because so yeah. what you do is you hit what we call a steady state. So if you're watching, you can see I'm using like a graph with my hand that it goes up and up and up. And eventually it plateaus out. But then your body gets like complacent to it and so it needs more which in it then it enhances the fact that you're going to use more so then you use more so mm -hmm. that's the that's one of the whole parts of addiction is that you you start out a little bit and that it, it, sugar let's take the basics yeah. like people who eat like you know a little bit of sugar or you know they eat saccharin you know like the the um i've been teaching my nieces this is you you put three Splendas in a teeny little cup of tea, three Splendas has a ton of activator in it that makes you want to eat more things that are going to make you 
want to eat more junk. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's there's that piece to it that just more is more is more because you can't get away from it. So right. you have to really know what it is that you're putting in to know how it's then going to convert and how it's going to translate because sugar makes you, you know, it's the addiction of self-soothing to make you become heavier or it leads to the binge purging, which people think, oh, I'll binge because I'll get all the yummy yep. endorphin rush of like all the sweets and the carbs and everything. And then I'll throw it up and then I'll still be thin. When in fact, which people don't really understand this, but the way the body works is your body will hold on to the nutrients that it can before you throw up. So you're actually going to gain more weight by purging. Really? Mm -hmm. yeah. So people, so anorexics will restrict and take out everything and become super skinny, right? Because they shut off their hypothalamus and teach it to do that, which obviously is a cardiovascular issue because it can shut down the heart, kidneys, the, all the metabolism. When you're a binge purger, you're a person who's taking the self-soothing behavior to the extreme, and then you feel guilty once you've done it. So the the mental health issue comes in of like, oh my God, I can't do that because now I have a bad body image and I feel bad for doing that. So they'll throw up. But the problem is because they're still they are still restricting on some level because they're trying to be thinner. The body doesn't know when it's actually going to get fed and not throw right. up. So, so um, it rations, it, so rations, it will hold on yeah. to the calories yeah. just as a way. And so it stores it. It ends up storing as like a visceral fat, which adds up. So people often get very frustrated when they binge purge because they're not having the same result. Um, That's the fallacy of, of basically dieting, right? Right. If it's, you, you it's deny calories, right. the body goes into rationing mode, your metabolism right. slows. Right. And you to you, preserve. Yeah. Right. Because because the whole your body is always your mind, mental health wise, is always in self-preservation mode. Right. We are we are the Charles Darwin. It's like survival of the fittest. And what are you going to do to make sure you survive? And so whatever your patterns are mentally, uh, you're going to physically follow in suit. And those are going to start to match and align unless you really look at them and say, OK, the self-soothing behavior is getting me in trouble. Yeah, that's the theory behind grazing, right? That, yes. That um, you eating on a more regular basis so that the body knows it can just burn. Right. Yeah. Because it knows that it's not going to be neglected. Yeah. It knows it's not going to go into starvation mode. So it's willing to let go of yep. whatever is there. Right. Now, how does that relate to the whole mental health cardiovascular thing? All these little pieces, all these little like anorexia, eating disorders, um, bulimia, uh, binge purging, all these things, they all lead to cardiovascular issues. So, you know, you might not have any kind of cardiovascular issue, but when you start doing those kinds of things or you're, let's just take eating, for example, if you are a self-soother eater and you are over your BMI, your body cannot maintain the cardiovascular keep up if you're not doing any kind of output on that, right? You can't outrun, can't outwork out a bad diet kind of thing. So it's, it's, imperative that people realize how much pressure they're putting on their their lungs and chest um you know i mean we've known for years that the the bigger your gut gets the more pressure it puts in weighing down on your heart and pulling down on even in you know people think it's you know if you've ever seen my 600 pound life or the thousand pound sister show, people think of it in those terms in the extreme, but it's really not. It's, it's the people with like the small little, the small little beer guts and the, and the, um, you know, just the extra excess inner tube two rolls around the stomach or into the pelvis area, you know, the, that, you know, that little yeah. extra fat pocket that's down there that's pulling on your cardiovascular system and if you're sitting and you know you're not doing anything to move you to get your mental health going you're going to just be more adding more and more and more and you see commercials now actually addressing it i mean there's a whole bunch of medi weight loss pills now that they're trying to say you know because everyone likes the quick fix right However, that comes with a risk for cardiovascular issues because you're still you're using a quick fix that you still have to eventually maintain some kind of something. And it will say, oh, you can you can do these things without having to exercise. There's no way to actually do maintained weight loss 
that helps your mental health that isn't sustainable unless you keep going. You, there's no <coughs> restart program that you start and restart and then think that without maintenance and right. keeping going on that, it's going to keep going. That's why things like, I, I don't know a lot about GOLO, you know, that new program I've seen on TV. I'm doing some more research because I always like to know what's out there. But like Noom, Noom's mm -hmm. a great program that I can say that I've seen and I've, and I've actually practiced a little bit of it because I want to see if it works. It works beautifully because it works on the principle of really understanding what you are putting in your body and having more water content because it reduces the cardiovascular risk and it keeps your mental health right. It takes into the factors of what psychology around you, people, environment, places, your old patterns, things that have impacted you, your traumas, your bad thoughts, your negative narratives. It really teaches you how to incorporate that into making a better food choice for yourself so that you're not just mindlessly eating and that you're, you know, you're not, it's, you know, you're not the elephant who's just grazing, you know, yeah. you're really looking at how to take care of your overall self um, and have a good health system. Um, and people, again, um, you and you would think in this day and age that people would really put that mind-body connection together, but it still hasn't been the trend enough, I don't think, in the best direction, still because of the stigma of, oh, mind-body thing, that's so weird, and yeah. it's so hocus-pocus. But it's not. It's your mind and body talk to each other constantly. That's how they function. If you don't have your, if you don't have these very specific structures in your brain sending signals to your body and your body responding and vice versa, you don't eat, you don't walk, you don't breathe, you don't move, you right. don't do any of the things you do. And that's and, the automated system. And, and that's the automated yeah. system. Yeah. So you have to, then you have your active, voluntary, I'm going to really put effort into making access to make sure I have a good heart, healthy body, because that makes your mind work better. Um, the better cardiovascular health, the better your blood moves through your aorta and all the different valves and cleans it and keeps your placking down, then the better your mental health. And I wish people would understand that more. Um, when they go to their primary care, there's a lot of, you know, primary cares now do a lot of, you know, the screening that's very face value. Like, are you depressed? Are you anxious? And, you know, yeah. in the checkbox, the 20 things and whatever, that's, uh, that's all well and good. And it's like, a it's a, you know, it's a. But they can't gauge your mental health in the five minutes they have in right. the office with you. And, yeah. and, you know, certainly some people will put down and they'll, they'll score really poorly on it. But then one of the one of the problems I have as a clinician with this is that instead of saying, let's make some physical changes, let's get you to lose some weight. Let's get you to really stop smoking. Let's do these things, you know, practice what I preach, right? I go right into, we need to have exercise. We need to revamp. And I do it slowly. I'm like, let's take out cheese this week. Like I do one thing, yeah. you know, or let's take out all bread. And let's do it slowly just to start like people realizing like what makes an impact, you know, like I took out red meat over a year and four months ago, no red meat, big difference in my life, totally difference. I can see it in the pictures that I have from a year and a half ago to now. Um, and I increase water intake as I've encouraged you and all my listeners to do water intake comes up, red meat out much more the, the fish and the chicken and the, shrimp and things that have water content that are going to make your body not feel sloggy. Um, you know, having alcohol if you want it, but on a limited basis. And that doesn't mean you can't have your glass of wine a day if you like that, but it means, you know, you shouldn't be drinking four, bo four <laughs> bottles a day or yeah. a case of beer a night. Um, you know, certainly, you know, once in a while you can imbibe and like have a little bit more fun, but remembering that all those things take away from the things that you're doing. Uh, you know, and they impact your mental health and well-being. Um, but I think that when, and here's one of the points about cardiovascular health, when you're having a cardiovascular issue, say you're having some hard time breathing or you feel sloggy or blah because you don't feel it, that's sending signals to your brain to be not motivated, to be very complacent, to be submissive. Like it, it, it adds to the I'll do it tomorrow attitude. Yeah. Um, 
And the heavier you get, and that doesn't mean you have to be obese, but the heavier you get or the heavier you feel in your body or the draggy, you have two choices that people usually make. They go towards it and eat more to feel better because they think that's what's going to make it better. Or they make the change and say, I'm going to make some revamps on this to see how it feels. Um, But people still go towards that. You know, they talk about mental health awareness month. The, The diet pill industry, the the ally and the goalie, like they have merit to them. They work on some extent, but they don't maintain themselves. They don't, you know, you can't, you can't take the stack 100 or whatever it is, or the pre-workouts or all that stuff and think that that's sustainable over time. And what we're really looking for is sustainable lifetime choices that are life choices to make a lifestyle change. So that you have better outcomes between your mind and your body talking together. Um, that's the key phrase, right? Lifestyle yeah. change. It has yes. to be a lifestyle change. And, and, and lifestyle changes are hard because, um, well, I should say they are hard initially if you have not done them ever, but they really aren't hard. They are super easy. And I, and when people say, well, eating healthy is more expensive. That's not true. No, nope. That's not true. Because if you look at, and, and I have people in my practice and in my life that will spend multiple hundreds of dollars of of their money on a weekly basis eating fast food and takeout or going out for dinner over and over again. And certainly there's weeks where I do that because it makes it more convenient, but I still make the choices that are the right healthy choices for me. I stay within my guidelines. Um, But people will just do that. You know, it's like Wendy's, pizza, um, McDonald's, and there's nothing wrong with any of those places as long as you're picking good choices and it's not every day or it's once a week. But when people are fast food because they're on the run, they're on the move, they have kids, they're doing this stuff. It makes it easier. I get that. The problem is, is that it's building a pattern of social modeling that's leading a path of self-soothing behaviors that just can't get, get you, get you through. And so the benefit of um, having self-awareness gives you better cardiovascular health. And if you can add in or take away one negative non-productive thing that you know you're doing on a weekly or every couple weeks basis, you're going to start switching that around. And the less likelihood is that you're going to have to end up in an office doing extreme mental health work or extreme physical rehab on a heart issue. Um, There's people that have heart attacks uh, or cardiovascular events that don't have any history but because, you know, in their families, because of the fact that they don't have physical exercise to the extent that they should, that's with intention, and they eat poorly. And eating poorly is, people think, I had a salad, it had ranch dressing on it, by yeah. the way, and yeah. it had croutons, that's not a salad. Or it's a Caesar salad, yeah. a Caesar dressing with, with croutons, <laughs> and... Then because I had a salad and I can say it was a salad because it had lettuce, which is the mindset, right? Mm-hmm. And, and maybe a carrot or a tomato in it. Then I also then had a pizza. Yeah. Like that, those, that no. Or we shared it. That's still yeah. not, that's, you know, I had a salad, but I, instead of having grilled chicken, I had buff, fried buffalo chicken tenders on top of it. That That is not. So it's about really being mindful of what you're eating. I know it's wonderful to have those things or to have fried mozzarella sticks, but if you're anything that says fried on it, you're, you're impacting your mental health, which is impacting your cardiovascular system. So then you are going to be one of those people that are going to be in the candidacy for preventative with aspirin down the line, because you are going to be more likely to have a cardiovascular event in your, you know, thirties and forties and fifties. And we're seeing it in athletes now bring it to athletes. We're seeing more and more over the weekend. I read a, um, I think it was in the Boston Globe, um, uh, more and more and more, maybe Wall Street Journal. It, there was an article somewhere this weekend that I read about more and more younger athletes with cardiovascular events um, for a variety of reasons and not because they're lacking exercise and output, but it's some of the dietary things right. that are happening because of so many of the quick fix, the the whey proteins and the pre-workouts mm. and all the stuff that they add in that's pushing the heart that's 
seemingly healthy on the surface, um, but really truly not. You know, I get I get at least a handful of questions a week on, you know, what does taurine do? What does choline do? What does inositol do? What are, you know, all these different little things that get added into um, drinks, powders, mm. yeah. um, processed things. And some things are really good, but, you know, it always comes down to your body processes the best what is natural. Our bodies are not meant to process processed stuff. This sounds like this is all about dysregulation. If you're if you're messing with that regulation, the mind body connection with your diet, you're just setting yourself up for failure. And the nicotine syndrome that you talked about is is overt and obvious, but you're doing it in a much obvious, much less obvious way with a lot of your diet, oftentimes. Right. Yeah. Well, then you know, I th I think of smokers as you know, it's the long haul slow death. Yeah. Right. I mean, I grew up with a person in my life that um, I, I haven't seen her in many years, but um, for all the years I did see her, which was the better part of almost 40 years, um, she smoked like a chimney, like mm -hmm. constantly. She smoked in front of people. It didn't matter. Like I imagine, I mean, she's in her set. I would, I think she's 70 now. My guess is she's still smoking. I would imagine that and that's just what she does, but it's a long, slow death. Yeah. Um, and people are always like, oh, the person, th some people smoke and they go right to death and no issue. There is nothing worse now from personal experience watching it. There's nothing worse than being on a cardio unit, on an inpatient unit that I've been on watching people when I've been on consults for other things in hospitals. There's nothing worse than watching someone die of emphysema. You know, it's funny you say it's this horrific because yeah. my sister was a an RN yep. and a smoker and RNs are smokers. Uh -huh. I, I hate to make stereotypical comments, but for the most part, they are. And she worked in a nursing home for years. How can you go through that process with somebody else and still continue to smoke? I don't understand it. Well, many years ago, I worked at I've worked at several hospitals over my career and that was one of my biggest complaints. I would do, I would do workshops for the nursing and the doctor staff about like mental health and like mm -hmm. some of the habits that people were in. And to your point, um, doctors and nurses, both who either were smoking or overweight or it, yeah, they would be giving advice to their patients of like, you really need to lose weight, but, yeah. <laughs> or you really need to stop smoking or you really, but they weren't doing it themselves, which is, I try, as you know, to practice exactly what I preach. I'm not perfect, but I try, I, I don't smoke. I'm not a smoker. I have asthma, so I'm all good. have no craving for that. I don't do marijuana. I don't do any of those things. Um, and I'm careful with alcohol just because I have huge raging alcoholics in my family. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm very careful with that, but also I'm mindful of weight because yep. <laughs> it's a weight gainer. Um, and I have that in my family. So it's, it's practice what you preach. If you're a nurse or a doctor or someone in the field and you're going to give advice to someone, I would, I think it's so important to be able to say, I can, I do it too. I've been there. I know what it is. I know what it's like. And I, and I absolutely agree with you that, I mean, certainly not all, because I have, I have several doctors in my practice and several yeah. nurses in my practice that are super healthy. No, and, and anecdotally, it's less now, it seems. But there yeah. was a time when nurses quite often were overweight and smoked. And right. again, watching... And it still happens. Yeah. But watching people go through that, I always wondered if it was a reactive syndrome in a way. But it, it, it was so consistent that way. Well, I think it's interesting because God rest his soul, my, my godfather... Um, was the town physician, you know, back in the day, <laughs> yeah. you know, and he was a family physician and he was my father's physician growing up. And then he became, right. I mean, he was a smoker and he, he died with emphysema horrifically and he was a drinker. Um, and that was back in the day where um, I grew up in the era where I have asthma and when all the asthma medications came out, he wasn't, he, he, he smoked, he drank, but he wasn't a believer in having any, any prophylactic on like asthma and asthma was in your head kind of thing oh, and really? all this kind of crazy yeah. stuff. And yeah. it's, um, that was in the seventies. And, uh, but that's, a, a he obviously was reared in a different right. context and yeah. And generational stuff. Yeah. And smoking is a, is a symptom of that because smoking, we had a much different relationship with smoking in the fifties 
right. in the 60s than we had in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Right. And I and I think that I think that now culturally you see definitely I see less smokers now. Yeah. But I see tons of vapors yeah. because I'm always, you know, you could, it's a very distinct smell or people just walk around with it because you can do it anywhere. And it's not subtle. I mean, it's right. And so someone's vaping, you know it. And you're not ostracized as much for it because right. it's much more subtle yep. and it's not as, uh, you know, it's not as in your face literally than, you know, a smoker right. would be doing that. Um, but it's still not healthy for your cardiovascular system and your cardiovascular system directly relates to your mental health. It changes the way that you process the chemicals in your brain that are your mood regulators. And people don't realize that. This is it, it depresses the cardiovascular system, which makes you work harder in your brain. This is more anecdotal observation, so you can disabuse me of it if you want to. But we, as a society, we tend to live in fight or flight constantly. Yes. It's a chronic fight or flight, a chronic ad adrenaline drip. And that has to, that has to mess up your regulation with your cardiovascular and with, with your lungs and sure. all your automated regulations. It's got to mess with that. Right. So, well, so, so to that point, I just had this conversation with a client yesterday. We call it the general adaptation system, the gas system, mm -hmm. right? So if you want to remember, <laughs> yeah. it's the gas, G-A-S. The general adaptation system is, is, is a theory essentially about fight or flight and anxiety of that. We're always in an alarm state. Yes. And well, we're not always in an alarm state, but when we have anxiety and when we're living in that moment, like you're talking about, like so many people are these days, you're in the what's supposed to happen theoretically is that we go through life and just have like our normal plateau calm 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 and when there's a threat to us in our environment it's supposed to bring up the alarm system right and then we we make a a tree chain of like okay which direction do we go and then we're supposed to then tap it out and then let it reset itself the problem over the past I'd say two decades, or at least the time that I've been in this field watching this, is that people stay in the gas system and never really get out of the alarm state. Right. The alarm state lessens or it waxes and wanes, but it never fully resolves itself out and moves itself it's out. It's often low grade, but it's always there. It's always underpinning yeah. everything. Yeah. And what happens is, is when it's when it's really high, people extra self-soothe. And when it's lower, because they've self-soothed, there's a little bit of dampening from the self-soothing. You know, it's, it's those moments of like, I'm going to work out today, but I haven't worked out in a week or, yeah. you know, but then it goes right back into the mode because what's happened is this is also generational. You can see this in the instant gratification culture and in, in teenagers and the I want, I need and give it to me now um, is the the need for quick fix. I, if it's, if it's uncomfortable, I don't like the pain. I need to get out of it right away. How am I going to do that? Right. And back in my day, it was, you went for a run, you went into the gym, you walked, you, you even journaled, you read, you did something else, but it wasn't hand to mouth. Right. And it wasn't reaching for a drink. And it wasn't reaching for a needle to the arm or sniffing something up your nose or, and, and there was also not the access to 90% of these drugs now that are, uh, so I teach the class that I teach on Thursday nights. I'm teaching, I teach counselors how to become counselors in addiction. Mm. And we were just going over all the, I always teach them all the new drugs that I have become aware of in the next, the next, next generation <laughs> of the newest things. And, yeah. and, um, even for people that are in the class that are in recovery that are, are becoming counselors and people who aren't like the amount of education around, like what people do with things, like they sniff them, they crush them, they put them and combine them with things like yeah. things that, I mean, people have been doing it with cocaine and things all their life, but now there's so many more substances, including, including your general SSRIs, your, your selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors like Zoloft, Wellbutrin, Neuron, which is not an SSRI, but it's a it's yeah. a, a, a a nerve blocker for people with pain, and now it's used for anxiety. People do all kinds of crazy things with these things, which changes your mental health range, but also changes your ability to function physically on a cardiovascular level because it's it depresses the system because it makes the system confused. It makes the system have to not trust itself to know what to do because your body actually knows how to 
fix itself. Your body knows how to regulate itself if you allow it. But if you train it into relying on outside sources and you train it into staying in the fight or flight mode because you're not learning the regulatory system activities, you're adding more stress on to your cardiovascular system. And, and, uh, God rest his soul, my friend Billy, who passed away last year. I mean, this is a conversation. He, he, 46 years old, he and I would have this conversation, especially in the last year of his life, ad nauseum. I would be talking to him about this all the time because I was watching him struggle with these things and slide. And um, and he was just starting to really get it because he was implementing. And, and you know, yeah. of course, sometimes too little, too late kind of thing, which makes me super sad. But um I guess what, that's one of the reasons why I'm very impassioned about how important these things go together because a life lost sh- short hmm. with so much more to go. And we see a lot of young people struggling still with these things. And then you add in COVID, by the way, and how many, uh, well, COVID in the past couple of weeks around me, not me, thank God. Talk about but fight or flight. Me We've been... Just as a society, we've been in fight or flight just over COVID alone just for over two COVID years. Alone has been ramping up, yeah. and then because people have been coming back together, um, I've seen an uptick huge in my practice of teenagers getting COVID that weren't getting it before. But you know why? Because they're all sharing vapes. Mm. <laughs> they're all getting back together, partying and sharing vapes. The like, stop um, doing that. The drug abuse that became, and I'm not on top of this, certainly not as much as you are, but not in general. And I only got this through cultural anecdote through movie plots and tv plots and things like that people snort adderall is that what's going on now? oh people snort everything yeah i give you a list yeah <laughs> it's just because everything everything has a little bit different bump to it so i mean people snort wellbutrin mm-hmm. people crush and snort wellbutrin any ssri can be snorted for for some particular gain yeah. um but particularly wellbutrin so all my listeners out there don't get any ideas because it can be really bad for you and can kill you. Um, potentially gabapentin, which is Neurontin that too. Um, you pretty much anything that you can get your hands on that has any kind of like psych, psych, psychiatric medication, pretty much. Yep. And even, even, um, things, you know, pain medications. I mean, people snort Percocets, Vicodin, anything opiated. Yeah. I mean, Hmm. and not to mention, by the way, what that does to your internal um, nasal passageways and also to your brain, but also how it how it then disperses across your body and what it does to your your liver and your kidneys. And yeah, but people don't think about that in the moment. That's not what people are thinking about. But so. On a personal note, the last couple of weeks, this is kind of what I've been dealing with, this whole fight or flight thing and having struggles of getting out of that because I'm a ruminator anyway, something I've always had to fight and I'm losing the battle recently. So it's just I'm constantly, there's constantly stuff nagging at me and it's obviously it's all low grade stuff. Nothing particularly bad is going on, but it's enough to just keep you regulated and you can't find those moments when you get out of that fight or flight mode when you can just, you know, shut down a little bit. Well, the the one quick tip I can give for actually self-regulating around fight or flight, and if you feel like you're just describing, because there's many people I think that yeah. feel that way, is you have to do the, what do I have control over? Yeah. If you're not doing the, what do I have control over versus what do I not have control over question. Yeah, but you know what one of my biggest anxiety sources is? The stuff I don't have control over. <laughs> but you have, but yeah. that's where the, that's where yeah. Dr. Kim's three R's come in because yeah. what you don't have control over, you have to test with, is it realistic, rational, or reasonable that I could ever have control over that? Right. The answer is going to be no, you don't have control over what's coming. And I think Eckhart Tolle in his wisdom, if, if you haven't read him, he's a little bit of a hard read, but I love him to death. Um, you know, talking about the present of being here and now yeah and really living in the moment it takes away a lot of that fight or flight because you don't have con- yesterday's over this morning's already over whatever you know what i mean so really living for 
now. Now, that doesn't mean you can't plan your trip down the line and, and all those things and anticipation and having good anticipatory, healthy anxiety. But it's about you don't have control over, you know, what so-and-so is going to think of you. I, I had four conversations yesterday, four clients about the worry about what other people think about yeah. them. And that's a fight or flight thing constantly. And that's age old. People always worry about like that committee in their head. It either has a name and face or doesn't. I talked about it about my running a couple of weeks ago about people having, oh, the judgment on you, like mm -hmm. how fast you are, or how slow you are. Irrelevant. Because it doesn't really matter because you like you pick your why. I'm going to reference my marathon is my race, my pace, my why and my constitution of I needed to get to the end because it meant something to me for very specific, two very specific reasons. They're my reasons alone. Mm, yeah. um, one, which I did mention, which I happy to mention because. One, it, because you're stubborn. One, one, because I'm <laughs> stubborn and I will not quit. And yeah. that is important to me. Um, uh, and I was raised not to quit. There are a lot of things I was raised that That's I would self-identity, right? Right. Your stubbornness no is self-identity. There is no quitting. Yep. Like unless unless there is a real reason, like a real reason. Yep. There's no quitting. You don't get 10 feet from the top of the mountain and say, I'm tired, I'm done, I'm going back down. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> and I've been with people that do that. Oh, you just saw the marathon. Was... I'll be like, We're not going anywhere. Yeah. We're going to finish. You just saw that at the marathon. The guy was three miles from home and still thinking about quitting. I mean, you've put 18 miles into this well, not no, to mention 20, the training in the 23 23 miles <laughs> math air math uh plus not to mention all the training that it took you to get here right and you're going to stop three miles in the end right right yeah. and so and and you know not for nothing i think that if i hadn't been yelling at him <laughs> i don't know if he would have finished no because I was like are you because you, you know me i mean not on air i don't do this but i'm i'm gonna ride you like you do not quit. There's no quitting the Boston Marathon. There's no crying. I even said that to him. Like, there's no crying <laughs> because you could see, yeah, like the tears. I'm like, and me with my lead foot, and I'm my, numb as a boar. Yep. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? He was tired. I'm like, you have three miles. There is no quit. Yep. You quit when you cross the line. And he was so happy at the end. I think I said that to you. He was like, yeah, hugged me and said, yeah. thank you so much. His dad was like crying. Thank you for not letting him quit. Like, there is no quit. Yeah. There is no quit. But it's, but you have your whys of why you do, of why. And it's not just because and many, I think many shows ago, I think back in the beginning, I did, what is your why? And it, it's not about like, because uh, I want to make money or because I want to be famous. It's your, it, your why. Like one of my whys is I have a dear friend, Susan, who is in charity teams and she's dealing with cancer. And one of my whys, and I told you, I was on my back and everyone was calling me Susan uh, <laughs> because I had, you know, my, yeah. my, one of my whys is on my back, you know, Susan Strong. Um, my why is because she inspires and she and I align so much in how we believe in there is no quit. There is no negative. It's you just go, you just go, yep. you just go. And my why was to, if I had quit, I was quitting on her. And I was quitting on her treatment in my mind. So, and people don't realize that that there's, I wasn't there to win the marathon. I won the marathon because I finished and I have, I met my whys mm -hmm. and people, that's hard for people to understand. Like, I, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just, your foot was so bad. It, my foot was so irrelevant by the time I got to the end, it was like, whatever. Yeah, and well, that's a hard concept to wrap. We it. talked about it last week, mind over matter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sort of consent. Yeah. And that, and that, and that's not, and not everybody has that, but everybody can have that. It's a matter of training yourself into that. And that goes to the beginning of the top of the show of it's choices of delayed gratification versus instant gratification. You know, the pain, the pain of not finishing something or the pain of yeah. not accomplishing something is um, way greater than the pain of having finished, you know? Yep. So taking the Boston marathon into effect, because I think that's what is timely because it's just happened, but not finishing is way more painful than, you know, just finishing with the injury. Right. Right. 
you you have to live the rest of your life knowing you quit. Yeah. The Boston Marathon. Yeah. The most prestigious marathon in the world. Because you quit. Versus you didn't quit. You went through. It wasn't pretty, but you did it. So your friend there on the marathon had the choice of I stopped three miles from the end of the Boston Marathon for the rest of his life or telling the story I've, I've run the Boston Marathon. Those, right. are, those are his choices. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I'd rather be able to say, I'd rather be able to tell my story, starting with the fact that, by the way, I was laughing because I usually write a thing up and I haven't had a chance. I always do a, a thing. I was laughing because I don't even know if you know this, but this lovely phone, this device, did I tell you the story? What happened as no. a quick end as we get close to the end of the show? I don't think so. So going into the weekend of the marathon on Friday night, right, I was going to do like a shakeout run. It was, it was sort of cold and rainy or something on Friday night. I don't, it wasn't rainy, but it was colder. So I was going to do like a little like walk run thing at the gym because it was dark and whatever. And I left my house, but before I left my house, Lou, <laughs> I fed my, my duck colony and my geese colony that's getting ready to have their babies. Cause yep. we take care of, you know, the entire animated backyard of the Disney world. <laughs> um, and uh, I put my phone, not knowing in my head, mindlessly, because my mind was in the marathon on top of my car. Oh, God. And I drove to the gym six miles, five miles away. Yep. And I drove back. But before I drove out, I ran upstairs and said to John, I said, do you know my phone is? He's like, no. And I was like, <laughs> so I was mad at him for not knowing my phone sure. was. And um, so I left, came back and and we follow our nieces and stuff on Life 360. And so we're all on the same thing. And I said to him, I'm like, did you find my phone? He goes, no, but you're pinging down the street. So I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so my marathon weekend actually started off with going and looking at 10 to 8 at night, which it wasn't quite dark yet, but it was getting dark. And we had our flashlights out and everything and looking for my phone. And we were calling it and it was ringing and ringing and we couldn't hear it, but we knew we were in the right ping. We yep. could see it. We could see it for like a half an hour. <laughs> All of a sudden we called it and no more. And I'm, oh, like, no. I'm like, someone stole it. And we'd gone back and forth and it looked like it was moving in this little space. Yeah. We watched the car run over it. Oh no. And crushed <laughs> my phone. The car, your car or a car? No, a car. Yeah. Well, in my head, I think that there maybe it is. Oh no. When I so we looked everywhere, <laughs> but the place that we didn't look was right in the center strip. So at one point when I moved the car around, I came down, I could see the reflector of the back, and I'm like, There's my phone. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God. But I have to do I have to say that. I had such a good mindset last week and here's to the mindset thing is that I vibed it out into the world that I had Apple care. God love Apple care. Shout out to them. And in 20 minutes, the next day I had a brand new phone for $99 with everything restored with no issue. There you go. And like that never happens for me. <laughs> it could have been disastrous. Kind of like when my phone got stolen. Yeah, see, it's, it's funny because my reaction to think catastrophes I'm fine with, but I can be nagged to death. I can be just nagged into a coma. But oh. something like that, something... We need, we need to work on that. Something catastrophic, I usually just absorb really well. It's like, okay, well, it is what it is. Let's keep going. We're on to Cincinnati. My yeah. favorite thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, just like we're on to 2023 Boston. Right. Yep. I'm already in the mode. I've already got the plan in place, like boop, 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 right down the line. So, but yeah, so it, it's, <laughs> so I tell that story because one, it's funny, but it was the setup to a weekend where I could have just let it slide me down the, yeah. the rat hole and been a disaster and set me up for the next day to go into the expo, to be miserable, to, but it didn't. Yep. And it all worked out beautifully minus my foot. But even with my foot, that was supposed to happen at mile 15. It was supposed to happen. Did you talk yourself into it? Did I talk myself into the mile yeah. 15? Yeah. Did you? Yeah. You mean in terms of my foot hurting? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I imagine there was some anticipation. Well, not I imagine. I know there was anticipation that it was going to come. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't know when. Right. Um, I was hoping it would go a little bit longer, like getting me closer to Boston before it tanked. But. Yep. It is what it is. 
but I vowed I will never do Boston like that ever again. As the I will have fixed this. You issue. know what the secret says: thoughts become things. Right. Yeah. So, and it did. It did manifest itself a little that morning because I kept my shoes off when we were out at the Hopkinton gym. And it, mind over matter, mind over matter. I was taking all precautions, and as soon as I put my shoe on, because you have to walk. Just for people that don't know and haven't done Boston, you have to walk from the athlete village a fair distance to the start line. And then you have to wait in the corral. And I was in the first corral, which, by the way, was like letting Packed. a bunch of, you know, bulls that haven't been let out in Spain in <laughs> <laughs> 10 years to yeah. run down that hill. And yeah. I almost got killed three or four times coming down that hill. But that anticipation. And as I stood there in the corral, my foot started to get tired. And I thought, oh. Um, but then it went and it yeah. went out of my head and I was fine because I was too busy making sure I didn't get pushed over and die. Because yep. um, people came out of it like, you know, bulls in yep. Spain. Um, so you're and focused on other things. I was just focused on other things, other things, other things. And then in mile 15 was great, but then it wasn't. So I'm sure whatever leaked in there, but... It is what it is, as we would say. So anyway, to, so to come back around, um, my takeaway from today is because we are focusing on mental health month in May is really focusing on your combination of how your mind and your body are talking to each other and what you're doing with your body, how you're treating it and making, maybe let's make May the month of like being super aware of how to take care of the two together mm -hmm. and let them talk to each other and being mindful of that. And although you might have a stigma of I'm, there's nothing wrong with me mentally, fine, but let's work on the combination of the whole package of the whole system and say, if you're saying that you have a problem. <laughs> what? If you're saying that you have a problem. Yeah. But people don't like to, admit to examine. That. People don't like to admit <laughs> yeah. that. So let's just look at the whole picture and say like, let's, let's really take what we were doing in January and, and put a little steroid to it. Not literally, but like yep. amp it up and say, okay, what can we really do coming into the spring and summer? We've got good weather coming. You know, maybe somebody wants to have a better beach body. Maybe someone wants to be able to get out there more and maybe ride a bike because you haven't done it or hike a mountain or do something new for yourself. I mean, I've got three new women in my, in my practice who are ready and wanting now to do a marathon and want me to help them do oh, wow. like a marathon this year. One wants to do the Boston marathon with me next year. So, I mean, so it's just about like, you don't have to run a marathon. All you have to do is make some small changes and really be aware that you don't have to be in fight or flight all the time because it's impacting your cardiovascular health. Mm -hmm. And trying to eliminate all those yucky factors in your life that make you be in fight and flight. The toxicity, the relationships, the the, the job stress, the kids stress, the food stress, whatever that is. And just bringing everything down to a, like an even keel. No, it's not perfect, but yep. let's make a goal of working on that. I like okay. it. So on that note. Timely for me. I need it. <laughs> yes. On, on that note, you guys, I will see you in May. Next week, we will be um, talking about this more and having a focused conversation on our steps in good mental health and body health. And uh, have a fantastic weekend. I will see you then.